Awesome, awesome, awesome. Awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You're too kind. Please, please have a seat. Have a seat. Thank you so much. And uh, just grateful uh, to be here and uh, love uh, the True Life Church family. Just love your team. I love your pastors, uh, Michael and Amanda. Um, I pray for them uh, every day. I pray for your church every day. It's just, uh, just an honor to be in relationships with them. And um, Michael and Amanda, they're kind of um, what I call my inner three. And uh, the reality, you know, Jesus had his 12 disciples, but, you know, we know that he, he really just had three that, you know, he really kind of hung out with. So, uh, so he's, uh, he's my th- um, one of my uh, three uh, closest guys and uh, get to uh, just share life with him and communicate and call and, hey, man, I'm dealing with this, I'm dealing with that, and get to, uh, you know, coach me through it. So, uh, again, I'm just grateful uh, to have him in my life, grateful to be here. Um, it's home away from home. So, uh, so, again, just grateful. Those of you who are watching online, thank you for being part of the True Life journey. And I'm um, just excited to share uh, God's Word with you today. Are you ready to get into this? Awesome, awesome, awesome. I want to start off with this uh, passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Um, the, the New Living Translation version is one of my favorite Scriptures. It's actually a Scripture that God spoke to my heart um, when we launched our church. And it says, for we are God's masterpiece. And here's the thing. Um, he, he, this is a statement that God is making regardless of how you feel right now. You are a masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that He planned for us to do long ago. So long ago, before God even created you, He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had something for you to do. He created a masterpiece. He created this beautiful uh, a person. This be- When I think of a masterpiece, I think of a beautiful, uh, like a, a, ve- a vase or vase, however you pronounce it, or a beautiful bowl. And, and sometimes, though, in, in life, we, we go through life and, and things happen in our life. We experience some hardships, some difficulties. Maybe we make some bad decisions. And those beautiful pieces of art, they get shattered. They get broken. And sometimes we no longer feel like we can be a masterpiece. We no longer feel like that God can use these broken pieces to help us to accomplish His will in the earth. And so I want to share with you that you are a masterpiece. You are created for good works, and God can still use those broken pieces of your life and put them back together to make something special in your life. You ready to get into this? Awesome. So here's some ground rules. As I uh, mentioned in the first couple of services, and I mentioned this before, I'm like a guy that loves being in crowded movie theaters because I love all of the side conversations when people say, you know, hey, don't you open that door. Don't go in there. Like, I love that. So, so if you talk to me, then the message will be a whole lot better, I promise you. And you won't, distra- you won't dis- uh, distract me. So here we go. So here's, um, and so Paul, uh, what Paul is doing, I'm going to share this with you. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Let me, uh, let me read it first, and I'll give you some context. He says, be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, and to do everything in love. 
And the reason why Paul uh, writes this to the church in Corinth, because he's like a general uh, leading the troops or commanding the troops before they get ready to go into battle. And you might be thinking like, well, what would they be going into battle for? And what Paul is trying to help them to realize is that there was a significant amount of influence, negative influence from the, uh, from the Roman rule, the Roman empire and the Corinthians that were in that land, in Corinth. And, and so what he was trying to tell them is that hey, listen, I need you to be on guard. I need you to be prepared because I don't want you to to succumb to these negative influences that are happening in in, in their lives. And I think that the same things are happening today. And he also tells them, I don't want you to be burdened with the temptation to fall into their standards or their expectations, their morals, their values. I don't want you to lower the values that I've already established in you um, as believers. He says, I don't want you to pass judgment on people based on social status. What I want you to do is that I want you to love them and connect with them and share our human experiences as brothers and sisters in Christ. No, there's no room for judgment. And so he's saying, listen, there's some impending danger that we're getting ready to go in, and I want you to know that you need to be on guard. You need to stand firm in the faith. You need to be courageous. You need to be strong in every Everything that you do, you need to do in love. And so what I believe is that if you are a person that is here today or watching online or, or you're a person like me and, and you've, you've gone through and you've believed that God has a purpose and God has something for you to do, but, but, but for whatever reason in life, you, you find that those ma- that masterpiece that he's created in you has been shattered and there's broken pieces all around. I just want you to know that I believe that these things here will help bring those pieces back together again. Why is this so important? right now because I've realized, especially over these last 15 months, and I hope we can get to a point where we stop talking about it, but over these last 15 months, I just think people are tired. People are fatigued. And now what happens when you're tired and fatigued, you start losing your grip on the things that matter most. You start losing, loosening the grip of the things that are so important to your everyday life, especially, especially if you're looking at other people, if you're looking at the, out the window and you're looking at other people and that you see that they're going in the opposite direction. It just has a way of wearing on you and making you think and making you question, is all of this worth it? And I'm saying, yes, it is worth it. And, but what happens is when we get tired and when we get fatigued, we start making mistakes. We start making bad decisions. And I'm saying all over, not just in, in, the, in the relationships that I have, but in the people that I talk to and, and all around the world, you're, you're finding out that when people are fatigued and when they're tired, they're making terrible mistakes. And so it's funny because, well, it's not funny, but, but I'm a huge, huge, huge sports fan. And um, in particular, I love boxing. And, and so what I do uh, often on the weekends, uh, I go and look at like old fights, like fights from the 70s and 80s and 90s. And, and, I, and yesterday I was watching the fight. Um, from George Foreman, big George Foreman, and Ron Lyles. Uh, I can't even remember what year that was. It had to be in the 70s. But, but the point that I'm making is, I mean, there's two big guys, and, and they're going at it, and they're fighting. And, and in the second round, George gets knocked down. And in the second round, Ron Lyles get knocked down, and they get back up. And by the third and fourth round, they're tired. In the fifth round, you know, what happens is when boxers get tired, you know, they're holding up their guard. When they get tired, they start dropping their hands. And when they drop their hands, 
guess what? You're successful to a punch. You're successful to get hit. And so George gets hit, and then he kind of corners Ron Lyles, and, and Ron Lyles, is, he's in the corner, he drops his hands because he's tired, and then he gets punched, and he falls forward on his face to the ground, and he's totally knocked out. And that's what I think what happens to us, is that we get tired, we let our guard down, we don't do these things, we get backed up in the corner, and then, unfortunately, we get knocked out. We get knocked out in life, but, but like in boxing where that person got knocked out, in life, there's more collateral damage. Because not only do we get hurt, but our spouses get hurt, our children get hurt, our family get hurt, our friends get hurt, our churches get hurt. Like all of these things are happening because we are in the battle and we don't realize that the enemy is after us. He's trying to prevent us from being masterpieces and God is saying no and Paul is saying no. There is something that you and I need to do in order for us to either bring back those broken pieces or prevent these things from happening in the future because I know that you're tired. I know that you're fatigued. But these are some things that I need you to do in order to prevent the enemy from winning in your life. Can I share these things with you today? Awesome. I'm excited. Sorry if I get excited and I start fumbling over my words. I, I got to calm down a little bit, but, but I love what I do. I really do. So, so Paul gives us these five priorities, these five things that you and I need to do in our lives to insulate ourselves from the difficulties that we will experience in life so that the enemy cannot win in our life. So right out of the scripture is these five things that I'm going to share with you. He says, be on guard. He says, stand firm in the faith. He says, be courageous be strong, and do everything in love. And just like me, Paul was fired up about serving Jesus, okay, and following Jesus. And, and I personally believe that people get fired up about following Jesus when Jesus rescues them. The more, the more difficulty that you've had in your life and Jesus gets you out of that difficulty, the more fired up you get about following Jesus. So, and I don't know about you, but Paul was a murderer. He, he even told you that out of everybody, of all the sinners, I'm the chief one. I'm the main one. I'm captain sinner. And so God saves them. And let me tell you something, is that outside of Jesus, Theologians and commentaries will tell you that there is no person that is more responsible than the spread of Christianity in the first century than Paul. And so what Paul is doing, he's saying to you that, and so Paul's been through a lot. He's seen a lot. And so Paul is, is planting churches. He's, he's preaching the message of God. And he's saying to you, like, listen, I've seen a lot. I've been a part of some things, and I need you to understand that you need to be on guard. You need to be uh, st stand firm in the faith. You need to be courageous. You need to be strong, and you need to do everything in love. He's giving this, um, this, these, these priorities, and the believers, some of the believers, they kind of felt like Paul was being over the top because he's saying, listen, you need to do these things to protect yourself, to protect your family, and to live for God. And today, you might even think, what I'm going to share with you today, you might think, that these are over the top too. But listen, we're trying to win the game. We're trying to win this game of life. And guess what? Sometimes you got to do some things that you really don't want to in order for you to put yourself in the position to win the game. And so we're going to talk about the first one. We're going to talk about being on guard. And this is, listen, what Paul is saying here is that, listen, I need you to give strict attention 
to the things that are happening outside of our area of influence, outside of your bubble. You know what? I need you to give strict attention to the things that are happening to families, to the things that are happening to children and to marriages and, and to workplace environments. I need you to give strict attention to this. I need you to be very cautious. You need to be cautious. You need to be active. You don't need to be passive. He's saying, look, this is a command of a level of consistency. It's a state of mind. It's not a one-time event. It's something that you and I need to do over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, they used to call these people watchmen. And so what they would do is that they would get on the tower of the city, of the city limits, and they would watch for danger, for impending danger. And if they would see impending danger, they would blow the horn. Basically what they were saying was, watch out! You ever say watch out to somebody? Why do you say watch out? Why do we say watch out to people? Why? Because of impending danger or two, maybe they're not paying attention. And so Paul is saying, listen, I need you to watch out. I need you to pay attention. I need you to be on guard because there are some things that are in this world that are trying to attack you, that attack your values, that attack your beliefs, your morals. He's trying to attack you and take you out. But the problem that I'm finding when talking to people, instead of being watchmen on the wall or watchmen on the tower, we're sleeping on the tower. And are we physically sleeping? Maybe not. But maybe we're just not engaged. Maybe we're being passive. Maybe we're not looking at the things that are necessary in order to protect our families or to protect ourselves from the decisions that, we would have made, that we've made in the past. But he's saying, watch out, pay attention. What should we be paying attention for? I'm glad you asked that question because Peter defines it this way. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, stay alert. Look at that. Watch out. Watch out for what? Watch out for you have a great enemy. Maybe some of us have forgotten that. We've, you've got a great enemy, the devil, and he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for someone to devour. He knows that you are a masterpiece. He knows that you've been created for good works. He knows that God has a plan for you. And if he can divert your plan, if he can detour you, then you can accomplish what God has in store for you. But look at what Matthew says here. This is pretty powerful. I, I want to read this in the message translation version. It says, but you, you do know this. We, like, we should know this is basically what he's saying. Like, come on, like, pay attention, like, grow up. You, you know this. He's trying to tell you. To, to mature, like, like let's grow up, let's not act like children, but you know this, you know that if a homeowner had known what time of night the burglar would arrive, that he would have been there, look at this, with his dogs, you didn't know that was in the Bible, right? He's not talking about little chihuahuas, no offense, he's talking about real guard dogs, right? He says that he says they would have been there with his dogs to prevent the break-in, so what am I saying? He's like, if you're watching, and if you would have known, if you could have had your dogs, you could have been prepared, you could be praying, you could be watching, you could be looking, watching as well as praying to prevent these things from happening. And sometimes in, in our lives, when, when people are going in the opposite direction, you might feel the pressure to feel like, you know what, maybe I'm being too hard. Maybe I'm not being realistic. Maybe the times have changed and, and I should be doing something else. And, and it was funny because my daughter and I, we were having a conversation. She's driving. She's, she's uh, 18. Or the time, yeah, she's 18. And, and she was driving. Her curfew was 10 o'clock at night. And she's driving home. She goes, Dad, you know, um, you know now that I'm 18, when her birthday came, she said, now that I'm 18, can, can we push our, uh, push our curfew back? Can I push my curfew back to 11 or 12 or something like sometime? And my answer was no. <laughs> She's like, why? I said, because 
I'm, I'm watching with my dogs. Why? Because I'm trying to prevent things from happening. You know what? You're a great girl. I know that you wouldn't do anything. But you know what? I'm, my job is to prevent things from happening. But, I, some, but in, inside, though, I kind of felt bad because I told her no. Because all of our other friends are doing things. Everybody else, no one has a curfew. They're doing their own thing. And I'm like, but for me and my house and my children, you got a curfew. And so she might have been upset, but she understood. Like my youngest daughter, she, she wants to be on social media. And I'm like, the answer is no. Why? Because I'm watching with my dogs. I'm being vigilant. I'm being on guard. I'm watching for the impending danger. Right now, the answer is no. And so we have to be vigilant in the same way in every area of our lives, not just with our children, but with our family and how we communicate to people and how we talk to people. But you and I, we have to be on guard. Number two, he says, stand firm in the faith. I told you I love sports. And when Paul talks about standing firm in the faith, I believe the image that I have in mind, this is what I call standing firm in the faith. I call it um, digging your cleats in the dirt. And, and so a football lineman, he would, you know, if you watch football, you'll see him and he'll dig his, his foot, his cleat in the dirt. He'll get ready. Why? Because he's trying to get leverage. Because he's battling against the person that is on the other side. The same way with a baseball player. He's, he's creating space in the batter's box and he's digging his cleats in the dirt. Why? Because he's trying to create leverage. And Paul is saying, stand firm in the faith because he's trying to tell you and I that you and I need to dig in the dirt and we need to, uh, we need to create leverage. How do we dig ourselves in the dirt? We dig ourselves in the dirt by reading God's word. Stand firm in the faith and lever- build some leverage up for the opposition because you have to understand, I said it earlier, is that the enemy has his own playbook and he's running his own play. He's running tape. He's watching you. He's watching your tendencies. He's seeing what you're doing. He's seeing what you're weak at. He's seeing where you're vulnerable and he's running a play. And the problem is, is that we're not prepared for it because we are not reading our word. We are not being in, uh, creating opportunities for we uh, to, to devote ourselves in God's word and spending time in God's pres- uh, presence. And here's the thing is that I find out is that many of us, we just get too busy. It's not anything bad, but we're so busy that we neglect the things. We hold loosely the things that are most important to us. So I'll say it like this. You may want to write it down. Is that standing firm in the faith means holding on to God's word without compromise. And when I see this, it reminds me of the movie 300, and I feel like I'm a Christian version of a Spartan. You hear me? And I'm, so what I'm saying to you is that I'm going to fight to the end. No retreat. This is our last stand. I'm going to hold on to God's word because the one thing that I know is true is that his word will never come, or his never will never come back void. It will come to pass. And let me tell you something, is that some of the most powerful moments that I've had in my life are those times in devotion and prayer and in reading God's Word. Some of the most significant changes that have happened in my life have happened because of prayer and reading God's Word. It, it wasn't the thing that actually happened when it was manifested. It was, the, it was the moment that God gave me and told me, hey, you're going to do this or you're going to be that or this is what's going to happen. And I remember thinking like, how is that possible? Why? Because the, it, was the, it was in the most difficult of times 
that God spoke and God began to share with me what he was going to do in those moments and in that time. And I'm telling you is that some of the greatest moments that we will ever have will come from difficulty. Oh, you don't, you don't feel that. That's okay. I'll preach it to myself. But sometimes, write this down, sometimes it is in the most difficult of times that we find the most clarity of purpose. And I know for us, and you know, and I want to apologize for every person that told you that your relationship with Christ is going to be like Sunday mornings. I want to apologize to them now, uh, to apologize for them now, because it's just not that way. We got to mature. We got to grow up. You know what? This world is always working against the things of God, and therefore, you and I are going to experience some battles. We're going to experience some challenges. You're not the only one. I know you think you're special, but you're not the only one. And in fact, Paul went through some difficulty. We, I've gone through some difficulty. You're going to go through some difficulty. And guess what? When Paul was preaching and when Paul was planting churches, guess what? Difficulty, challenges. He had a myriad of different challenges. Alexander and Hymenaea, they were believers and they were against and criticized Paul's ministry. When Paul was in Lystra, he got stoned and left for dead. He was in prison so many times. He was uh, shipwrecked and almost drowned. All of these things were difficult difficulties that Paul experienced. So if Paul experienced these difficulties, why do you think that you're going to escape difficulties in your life? But I can tell you this, when Paul was experiencing those difficulties, he got clarity of purpose. I remember when I experienced difficulties, God spoke to me throughout his word, stood firm in the faith, and I began to get clarity of purpose. Guess what? Some of the most profound words written in the Bible came from difficult challenges. Some of the most, the most profound lyrics that you and I speak today have come from the most difficult times that Paul had experienced in his life. Let me share a few of these with you. See. How many of you have said to live is Christ, but to die is gain? Let came from difficulty. Endure, I endure all things. Set your affections on things above. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I have found, I have fought the good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. All of those things, all of these words that you and I even mentioned right now have come when Paul penned them, when he was in prison, when he was shipwrecked, when he was stoned, when he was beaten. They've all come from his negative experiences in life. And so he's produced, he's got clarity of purpose, and, and good things have come out of that that you and I benefit from even today. We've got to stand firm in the faith. And then he tells us to be courageous. Why? Why is he telling us this? He's telling us this out of his own experiences. He's saying to you that you and I, it is to us, it is necessary for us as followers of Christ to be courageous in order for us to carry out our responsibilities, in order for us to carry out the plan that God has in store for our lives. Regardless of the battle, regardless of the impending danger, impending danger, what Paul, what Paul is saying is that you can't be a winkling. You can't be weak. Like, don't, stop being a weakling. Stop being a wimp. Like, you got to have some courage. Don't let the hopelessness that you see on the outside deter, uh, deter you from what God wants to do in your life. Don't let it interfere with your duties and your responsibilities and the things that God wants to do in your life. In fact, in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9, he says, have I, have I not commanded you? Scott speaking to Joshua, Joshua, 
when he takes over for Moses as the leader, clearly he needed some encouragement. Clearly he needed to be uh, 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 strengthened because in the first nine, chap- or first nine verses, God tells him three times to be courageous. So that tells me that he must have had some fear, some concerns about what he was called to do. So he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. Look at this, wherever you go, I, if you're afraid, I understand. I would tell you that whatever God's told you to do, just do it afraid. Because even if you do it afraid, God's going to be with you wherever you go, wherever you go. And look, you may want to write this down. He says, following Christ is not for cowards. You, you can't be in God's army if you're going to be a coward. Because there's going to be some fighting that you have to do. And if you read your, your Bible, you will see that, that they were not cowards. They, they did it. Like, listen, they were, they were strong. They were mighty. The first century Christians, they went all out. You ought to read about what, how their lives ended up. But if they did it in the first century and they had to have a courage, guess what? It's true for True Life Church right now. Like, we have to have courage. It's true for me. I've got to have courage. Our family has to have courage. We need to have courage. And I'm telling you that it was Paul's conviction that you and I and those believers in the first century were set apart to be holy for a work that God has called us to do. And you and I, therefore, must stand against the attacks of the enemy, the extraordinary pressure that we are experiencing in our time today in order for us to fulfill God. God's role in our life. And let me tell you this, because I know some of you think that you're really special. So I'm going to read this for you to help encourage you. See, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. I know you feel like you're special and you're the only one that's going through it, but I just want to tell you that it's no different than what anybody else is going through. That's the power of small groups, because you can take the mask off, and you say, oh my God, guess what? This is what I'm going through. And another person could take their mask off and say, oh, you too? Like, there's no difference, right, So from what others are experiencing. And then here's what God God is faithful. You got to believe that, that he's faithful, and that he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, look at this, when you're tested, when you're faced with a decision, when you're faced with an obstacle, a challenge, a difficulty, he says, that he will show you the way out so that you can endure it. You don't have to make the decision. You don't have to be living with the remnants of the broken pieces of your life because of decisions in the past. Like there is a way, but you have to be courageous. The next one, he says, be strong. And and when you think of that, I'm sure you're probably thinking about physical strength and physical might. But what Paul is saying is it has nothing to do with physical strength. In the original language, when you study this out, he says this is a continuous action, it's a state of being. What, was, what am I saying? What Paul is saying to you is that you and I, he's speaking to our strength of character and our strength of conduct. Like, who are you? Are you a believer or are you not a believer? Are you standing firm or are you not standing firm? Are you holding tightly to the values and the faith that make you a believer? Or are you holding them loosely? And let me tell you something, you and I, especially in this day, we're going to need a strength that will help us to maintain our character and our conduct. In fact, I wrote it this way, the strength that God demands 
In other words, the strength that God demands for us to maintain the proper character and conduct, the strength that he demands is also the strength that he provides. He's not going to leave you on your own to try to accomplish this on your own. So the strength that we need in order to be the character-filled people that we need to be, it doesn't come from the inside. It's not natural. Our body, our flesh has a tendency to do what is wrong. But with the strength strength of character and strength of conduct, that comes from a place that is beyond us. That is supernatural. It's not mystical, but it's spiritual. It comes from our relationship and our time with God. And so what does it mean is that everywhere we go, every place we go, we've got to be strong in our character and in our conduct. We've got to choose it every single day in every single moment. You've got to choose it. And so here's the challenge. Like I said, you've got a choice to make in every moment. And what I find is that what we do is that in one moment we're here, we're saying, hey, we're going to live for God. And in the other moment, we find ourselves living for ourselves. And so the Bible speaks to that very clearly in James chapter 1. He says, but when, in chapter, chapter 1, verse 6 through 8, he says, but when you ask for something, he says, you must ask it in faith and do not doubt. It's a principle here. Anyone who doubts is like an ocean, uh, ocean wave tossed around in the sea. So you're kind of going back and forth. I want you to see this. This is very powerful. And he says, and if you are that kind of person that goes back and forth, keeps teetering back and forth, he says, you can't, and you can't make up your mind. He says, and you surely can't be trusted. You can't be trusted going back and forth. He says, so don't expect the Lord to give you anything at all. The Bible speaks of this person as a double-minded person. And a double-minded person is a person who will declare in public that, you know what, I love the Lord. I'm going to live for the Lord. So with my actions, with my, with my words, I live for the Lord, but I'm also living for my secrets too. I'll say it again. It's a person who declares and says, you know what, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of God. I'm going to live for God. And we will do that publicly, but privately we'll live our secret life. It's, I call this person, this is a person who lives a life like, like when you remember when you were a kid and, and you would make an agreement with one of your friends, but then you would cross your fingers, you would cross your fingers behind your back. You go, Why? Because you, you don't want to be committed to the obligation that you've made or to the promise that you kept. And then when they say, well, you didn't follow through, you're like, no, I didn't do it because I had my fingers crossed. Well, that's the kind of life that we live. We declare that we're going to live for God, but we, we, won't, continue, we won't commit to the obligation of what it looks like to live for God because we're double-minded. And we're saying, no, God, I have my fingers crossed, so I'm not really committed to that way of life. And so what happens is when you have a double-minded or or divided mind, then it leads to a divided heart. And a divided heart leads to a divided house. And a divided house leads to a divided lifestyle. And listen to me. I'm telling you, when you live like that, it wears on you. You 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 get fatigued and you get tired and you start making bad decisions and bad choices. And your strength leads, weaves, wears away. And what happens is now darkness begins to take over. And let me tell you something. One of the most tragic scriptures in all the Bible is when, when Samuel, or when, in 1 Samuel, when he speaks to Saul or Samson, and he says to Samson, he says, Samson didn't realize that the Lord had left him. He got up as before, and he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. And I'm just telling you, when we live a double-minded life, when we say we live for God, but our behaviors are different, I'm telling you, there will be a time when you get up as you have before, but you don't realize that the Lord 
has left you. And here's why this is important. Because one bad moment could destroy a lifetime of being careful. One bad moment can destroy a lifetime of being careful. Listen, people who have seemed invincible have now found themselves in despair. It was one moment and it destroyed a lifetime of being careful. Why? They fall first in their mind, going back and forth. It enters into their heart. And then soon after, it's live and in living color before the world to see. But you know what happens now? It's happening so much that people today, they don't even care anymore. That, you know what? They shrug their shoulders. They, 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 sometimes they ask the question, man, how did this happen? But you know, at the end of the day, they're just saying, you know what? Just like the Bible says, I never trusted them anyway. I knew it was something about them. Don't let that be said of you. Come on, we can do it like we can do it. Let's keep going. And the last one, he says, do everything in love. And I'm going to tell you this, is that without question, love, that four-letter word, oh my gosh, it is the most misunderstood, the most used and abused word in the English language. And I don't know about you, but, but I know that when I've gotten hurt, I've made vows. I, I sure have. I've made vows. I've said, I will never, ever let that happen to me again. I will never let that person hurt me that way again. I will never let, you know, I will never put myself in the position to be used that way again. I will never make sacrifices like that again. When you get hurt by love, I'm telling you, it can, you if you're anything like me, I, I, you'll make vows and you'll say, you know what? I'm not going to experience that again. And what happens is that we build walls around our lives or walls around our hearts. But the problem is, is that we build those walls to keep people out, but we don't realize it prevents us from, or we, we built walls to keep people from coming in, but then those walls prevent us from getting out. And so that's what happens. And I get it. I understand because if you've been on the other side of love, if you've been hurt, if you experience pain and hardship and disappointment, it's hard to allow yourself to be in that position again. But listen, when we do everything in love, in order to bring those pieces back together, I need you to understand it's God's responsibility to protect us, not our own. See, you've experienced a counterfeit, and you made your decision based on a counterfeit, not on a real thing. And this love that God is talking about, he's talking about agape love. It's the love that's selfless. It's the love that's self-giving. It's the love that's undeserving. It's the love that you give regardless of the expectations. Like, as a matter of fact, you don't have an expectation. You don't do it to get a return because you recognize that your reward comes from God. That is the kind of love that God is talking about. Everything in love. Do everything in love. And if you do everything in love, guess what? It leaves no wiggle room to make up our own thing. Because if I, <laughs> if I had it up to myself, like I, I would make my own rules for who would give my love or how I behave in love or how I respond to people. I would make it up on my own. So what God is basically telling us, what Paul is basically telling us is that agape love, the formula for agape love is you before me. So in everything that I'm doing, I'm putting you before me. Now understand what it does not mean. It doesn't mean be stupid. <laughs> It doesn't mean to be in a position where you continue to get taken advantage of. 
It doesn't mean to get abused, but what it does mean is regardless of where I am, whether I'm at work or whether I'm at home, whether I'm stuck in traffic, whether I'm in a drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, because I don't know what's going on with Chick-fil-A, they're all, those lines are always around the corner. Frustrate me, get me upset. Sorry, I digress. But whether, my, whether I'm with my family or, or whether I'm with my friends or whether my family or my friends disappoint me, whether my kids are fighting or my wife is yelling at me, whatever it is, everything that I do, I have to do in love. And I'm not allowed. I don't have a choice in the matter. Even if my heart is broken, I cannot reason my way out of responding and doing things in love. Why? Here's something I want to show you in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3. This is the love chapter. Paul is saying that if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but I didn't love others. Look at what he says. He's, he says, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Verse 2, he says, if I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all the knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, look how significant this is, but I didn't love others, I would be nothing. And then verse 3, he says, and if I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Why is this so significant? Because if we can get this right, this do everything in love right, no matter what is wrong in our lives, we invite God to be a part of the solution. And I'm telling you that, again, there, if you're like me, there have been some broken pieces in our lives, and, and you're probably wondering, man, can God still use me? Like, like, I'm having difficulty believing that I can be a masterpiece with all of the broken pieces of my life. I, I'm wondering if there is a way that God can bring those broken pieces back together again. And I'm telling you, the answer is yes. And I was thinking, as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about this scripture from this song from Lecrae and Carrie Job. And it says this, because this is where I feel some of us are. It says, all the pieces on the ground I shattered all the dreams that I found. In other words, I believe and I receive that God has a plan and a purpose for me, but I've made some decisions. I was fatigued. I was tired. I, I made some poor decisions. I made some poor choices. And now the dream that God put in my heart, they're shattered and broken pieces all over the ground. And he said, can you put me back together? Can you put me back together? Because God has a way, He has a way mending our broken pieces. She says, I need your grace for my flaws. Because every one of us has flaws. We've got mistakes. And says, God, I'm broken in the mess that I've made. I need you to restore me. And as I said, God has a beautiful way of mending broken pieces. And, and, I, and I need you to understand is that God is on the front end of all of this. And when he's on the front end of it, you know what? He, you may want to write this down. He's on the front end of all of this, and that's why he sent his son, so his son can be in relationship with us, so that he can show us what it looks like to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be strong, to, to be courageous, and, and to do everything in love. 
And then he's at the end of it because he allowed his son to die so that you and I can be in relationship with him. And so how does God bring these pieces back together again? I want to share this, uh, this, this illustration with you uh, today. And this illustration I actually saw a few years ago and, uh, from Miles McPherson. And um, I thought about it today and uh, I wanted to share it with you. And it's this ancient practice in, uh, called kintsugi. It's a Japanese practice and still done today. And, and where they take these beautiful uh, pieces of, pottery, if you will. And these pottery pieces are broken. And so what they do is they actually start putting those pieces back together again. And But, but what they do is that they, they seal these pieces together with gold. And believe it or not, when they put those pieces back together with gold, they actually become more valuable than they were before they were broken. And, and, and it's this thing, and, and, and my daughter had her, we, we were looking it up, and, and it's this idea, of, it's this Japanese thing called wabi-sabi, which means the beauty that's in the imperfect things. And so I just want to share that with you, is that God wants to bring those imperfect pieces, and, and while God doesn't use gold, He used something that is much more precious, and He uses grace. And He uses grace to bring those broken pieces back together again so that we can fulfill his purpose and his plan that he has for our life. Can I share a quick story with you? My broken pieces. I grew up in a very dysfunctional home. And that's a story for another day, but, but part of that story was my father very rarely came home. And I just remember making a vow because I saw what he did to my mother and it pained me so much and I just made a vow and said that I will never ever ever get married I meet this young lady Monica and, and she comes from a broken home as well and was a single child uh, uh, come from a single parent family and, and so we've got all of these broken pieces around and somehow some way we end up getting married and before we even got married we had a really rough start and I just was thinking the other day, I remember that one, see, I, I'm a flight guy. If, if you want to argue and you want to fight and you want to scream, you want to, I just leave. I just, that's what I used to do. And so she's like, no, we're going to stay here and we're going to talk about it. And then one day I, I was leaving and I got in the car and my, and she wasn't my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time. She jumps on the car and she's holding on the hood of the car with that space between the hood and the windshield. And like a dummy, I just step on the gas and just take off down the road. We were passionate people, but, but if God wasn't with us, that passion turned to a fire-breathing dragon. We were a mess. But that was just one of the episodes. And I, it was so bad in our relationship that I remember a good dear friend of mine took me to dinner. And he said, yo, you guys are not going to make it. Believe it or not, we started to be strong, we started to guard, be on guard, be strong, we started to stand firm in the faith, we started to be courageous, and we started doing everything in love. And believe it or not, my wife and I, our marriage 
started to become a beautiful thing and, and we were a part of a team that put together a curriculum for marriage ministry called After the Vows. It's still going on today, so much so that it got certified and they're teaching it over at Bethlehem College in Bethlehem, Jerusalem. How could that be? How could that be? Because I knew that God wanted to do something with my life, but I didn't know how because all I could see was all of these broken pieces. But what God was doing was by His grace, He was pulling those pieces all back together again, and He was making something more valuable than it was before it ever got broken. And if He can do it for me, I know that He can do it for you. So that's what I want to share with you today is that you are a masterpiece. Regardless of what has happened, you are a masterpiece. Will you allow God's grace to bring those pieces back together again so that you could be more valuable than you were before you were ever broken? Can I pray with you? Father, I just thank you. And I bless you and I praise you. And Father, I just pray that if there's someone here today, God, that needs to receive your grace so that you would build, rebuild their broken pieces of their lives and, and that you would make them more valuable now than they were before they were broken. Lord, you still can use them. You are, made them a masterpiece and they are fit for your good works, the works that you've planned for them to do. I pray, God, that you, they, will, they will receive you now because you sent your son to die for us so that we could be in relationship with him so that you and I, for they and I could be a masterpiece fit together for your good works. So I pray if you receive that prayer, if you, you today are, are knowing that you need to take your next steps in your spiritual journey, I just pray in the name of Jesus, if you're watching online, that, that you just put it in the chat right now. Put a, put a hand wave emoji. If you're here right now, uh, we're going to give you some instructions to take your next step in your spiritual journey. But I thank you I pray that you receive this message, and I pray that God's Spirit will work in you with signs and wonders, wonders following. In Jesus' name I pray. I hope you got something out of this. God bless you, and Whitney's going to come to give you some further instructions. Thank you, and God bless you.